When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. <laughs> Welcome back to Fright School. Oh my gosh, I was my adrenochrome hadn't fully processed yet, Joe. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Oh, sorry, dear listener. Yes, welcome back to Fright School. I was taking a, a magic uh, tonic. A tonic? Yes, it is um, a hemp flower extract, pure vitality, CBD. Um, you know, I take this instead of um, ADHD meds. <laughs> no, it's sort of like though. a focus. It's like a focus blend um, from Etheridge Organics, of course. Uh, does it does it help you focus? It does. I you know I think it does. It could be a placebo, but I do think it actually helps. So yeah, I usually take it every day. I have that, and then I have another. I'm glad that I I drove you to take it today. <laughs> you need. I try to always take it, uh, but I forgot this morning. I also have adrenal and focus, which actually says adrenal, but it's. <laughs> It's not. It's not that adrenal. It's, it's uh, yeah, adrenal <laughs> chrome. <laughs> what you're what what you're trying to tell us is that uh, Melissa Etheridge's Q, and yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, could you imagine? That'd be hilarious. Uh, anyways, oh my gosh, how are you doing, Joe? Look at us. We are here. We are here uh, in the middle of the day. That's true. Yeah, we're uh, this kind of fun, you know. So we do this occasionally, where we're like, you know, let's record a few episodes or let's watch a few movies and knock some things out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's nice that That, we're doing that. That's what we're doing Uh, right now. uh, I know you're really cold, but uh, I'm gonna find a blanket. Yeah, but we are (laughs) going to, like usual, you know, just spout off a ton of hot air. It's gonna be fine. You're gonna warm. (laughs) Right up. Yes. <laughs> now that you're fully, you're fully vital and focused. Right, exactly. <laughs> now that I'm vitalized. Uh, how how's your week been? Week has been very Since good. I last laid eyes upon thee. Um, week has been good. We are in the holiday season. We are in the full swing of it. Um, I and and just like that, I am. Uh, I am figuring out what to get people for the holidays. My oh, least favorite nice. thing to do. Because I often buy, I often will buy like little gifts for people if I'm if I'm thinking about them in the moment. But when I actually have to get someone something for something, it's like my least favorite thing. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, I, it's been kind of interesting for me. I, I don't typically buy gifts for people mm-hmm. <laughs> like individually. Uh, is it because your very friendship is a gift? Well, yeah, there is that. Um, but you know, it's like we. I mean, in a sense, like we host like the you know an event and we feed everybody. And you come over and we're together. It's not really about like 
I always hated that element of it because that's what made me hate Christmas so much was like the commercialization of it and like how miserable my mother always was that she can like buy us all this shit. And it was like, I've said this before on the show. It's just, um, you know, let's revisit why I'm such a Grinch again. It's not necessarily like the holiday spirit. It's people and we fucking ruin everything. (laughs) You know, so it's like, I just, I hate that element of it. Um, So it's like, I prefer that we're all together. And like, I love ending the year every year. The people who show up, it's sort of like, it always changes. Like there are some people that come every year to the scary Christmas, like mm-hmm. scary Christmas party um, or whatever I might be calling it, uh, you know, who have been coming for years. And so I always see them and they're like those mainstays. But then there are also people who like, for one reason or another, have just been like really present in my life for a year. or So they show up and it's like a nice time to like celebrate that, hey, we've spent a lot of time together this year i'm glad you're here sometimes those people stay on and they'll be here again next year and the year after that sometimes life happens and you know people for whatever reason don't come again (laughs) or you know or it's just that they're you know i don't know i just i like that kind of element of it of just being together and celebrating a year together you know or Mm -hmm. time together so i yeah so really the only person i buy gifts for is Jeffrey, uh, which that's all that over there that I still haven't wrapped. <laughs> it's like stack of junk. Uh, but I'm kind of like that where I listen through the year and it'll say something and I'll just add it to a list. Uh, this year was kind of a challenge because this is the first time, uh, first year in a long time where I haven't had a job all year. So I, since I've been studenting, uh, so <laughs> it's kind of funny. I've been on the lookout all year for deals where it's like buy this thing and get this thing free. <laughs> so he's getting quite a lot of gifts that were free or included, you know. Uh, but it's stuff I think he'll like. Yeah, but I had to a- be really thoughtful this year about how to spend money and how to get him things that I think he's going to enjoy. Yeah, the thought that counts. Yeah, yeah. And it's like little stuff, because he's not like me, you know, where it's like, like I have a lot of crap. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. You know, I have a lot of stuff, and so he's not really like that. You have an entire room dedicated to all your stuff. Yeah, and I'll buy stuff all year long, you know, to add to it, whereas, like, he won't. So the holidays are always that time for me to, like, pick up a little knick-knack of something that he can, you know. Sorry, I just noticed there's, like, a knife Oh yeah, that's from the one of the Halloween actors that played oh, okay. Michael Myers, one of the stuntmen. He uh, autographed Michael, a Michael Lerner. I, I swear, every time I look up at this wall of stuff behind you, I see more. I see more things I'd never seen before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Delia was visiting. You know, she's been on the show before, and uh, we love Delia. Hello, Delia, if you're listening. Um, she came in and she. I think we've only ever worked remotely with her, so she had never actually been here before, which really yeah. surprised me. I couldn't believe it in like the eight, almost eight years we've lived in this house that Delia had never been here before. Mm-hmm. I had a whole memory in my head that she had stayed here, and like, nope. I mean, it's just nutso. You've always offered, but yeah. she's never taken you up on it until yeah. this time. Well, I'm really glad she did because it was super fun. But she came in and she's like, "Oh, it's much bigger than I would have thought." I'm like, "Really? It feels really small to me." Uh, but she thought that the space seemed bigger. Uh, so I'm like, "Well, the walls are caving in on me." So I don't know. I'd probably need to. I need to figure it out. But um, again, like I said, I always keep in mind that like one day I'm gonna have like an office and I'm gonna move a bunch of this stuff into there. You know. So. 
I mean, of course, then I'm going to have people coming by like, Joshua, you cannot keep um, these horrifying things in your therapy office. Yes, exactly. Clients are really upset. It's like, uh, my name is Joshua. I specialize in aversion <laughs> therapy. <laughs> Uh, although, I mean, I, I think I could get away with some stuff. There are some things that I think are safe enough. Uh, like you know. what? <laughs> well, I mean, my Elvira living dead doll's cute. Like, I could take that. Uh, I don't know. This, again, this is not very interesting for people. Some of that stuff, like, you know, the cutesy things, like the stuffed dragons, the Ursula stuff, that could probably go cutely in an office. This is why you need to, like, open up your own practice, because then no one will need to, no one will tell you. Yeah. What you can and cannot have. This is true. The this senior is why. Grogu could probably go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things like that. A bunch of these books and stuff are all going to live in my future office. Mm -hmm. So I'll have that shelf space to fill too. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm not too worried. Uh, <laughs> anyways, what are we talking about? Why are we so off track already? Because that's what we do in I this know, time. It is what we do. Um, oh my gosh, I haven't taken any notes about what we're talking about, so I'm going to have to like re-listen to this conversation again. <laughs> that went nowhere. Um, what else? Did you watch anything interesting? We know um, she went to House of Gucci without us. So. I know, I did. I saw the House of Gucci. I saw. We didn't talk about that on the last show, did we? No, we didn't. Oh, so like, yeah, well, it's because I'm very incensed. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like, you blocked. I'm very it. upset. You filibustered you. my ability to talk about House of Gucci. Yeah, because that really should have been something we should have seen together. But you are a terrible person. I mean, I'll totally go see it again. Uh, was it two and a half hours well spent? No, but I'll go see it again. No, I think at this point, after all the reviews I've heard, I think I'm just gonna wait for it to pop up on HBO Max or. Amazon, wherever the hell it's, it's whatever, like a couple months, whatever dustbin of history it's going to end up in, you know, dustbin of, of streaming history. I, I will, I will check it out then. I did read the book. Uh, yeah, you said it's like a tome, right? It's yeah, it was a lot of like just history of the Gucci family, which I guess they also kind of bring in because that's like literally like the book opens with the assassination of Maurizio. Maurizio Gucci. Maurizio. It uh, starts with like his assassination. That's like three pages. And then it's like, so to understand Gucci, let's go back to like 1901 <laughs> when the first Gucci made a saddle when Gucci bag. Gucci Gucci. You know, made a, a bag for your horse. And like, you know, I mean, it was just like, it's probably even farther back than that. Maybe even the 1800s. I don't know. Um, I've already forgotten because it was so much information. Uh, and then it gets into like how Gucci went to total crap. And then it was like, you could buy, you know, Gucci fucking keychain made out of, you know, rabbit foot or some nonsense. Like everything had Gucci on it. And how like Maurizio like wanted to return it to like this place of couture, like high fashion. Um, but it's like, I came here for the murder. Like, get to the murdering. <laughs> The uh, critique that subsequently stopped my listening of My Favorite Murder, which was, get to the murder. Ah, right. There we go. So, anyways, back to you, because what you did see it, I did not. So, I, was like, I don't well, know you, why you I'm like... You just made most of this conversation about yeah. Hasaguchi, how you hadn't seen it. <laughs> but I had read it. So, anyway, Oh, yes. And this is a reading podcast. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Uh, um, no, House of Gucci was so much fun. I saw it uh, the day after Thanksgiving with a couple friends, and um, we went to... <laughs> Not me. <laughs> um, I see how it is. Yes. Well, you know, it was... It, you, I do horrifying stuff with you. Yeah, it's true. Well, and, I'm, I mean, uh, well, it's horrifying in another way. Yes. 
and we went to um we went to a fancy movie theater that had like reclining seats and um it was so funny because like we walked in and my one friend anthony was like i wonder if we're gonna see any other gays here and literally when we took our seats we saw a friend pass by with his partner and i'm like yeah we're I think only gay people went to see this. Movie. No, there were women there, so you know it oh. was it was the the RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, I see. Oh, the Venn, Venn diagram. diagram. <laughs> All right, very nice, very nice. Um, lots of white ladies. Lots of white, white ladies. Gays. Lots and of white Joe. ladies bought their brought their husbands <laughs> or boyfriends. <laughs> their husbands. Yes, their good husbands. <laughs> <laughs> That's what. Um, Muffy Bolding calls Jackie Beat her husband. <laughs> I'm like, I think that's hilarious. And um, it was it was a lot of fun. We had cocktails. I had a cocktail. Um, You've been like drinking more. I know. What's wrong I, with yeah, me? I feel like in all the time I've known you, you were never like a drinker, mm-hmm. like ever. Like I think I've offered you drinks. You're like, no, just have some water, some yeah. cola, have a, have a ginger some, ale, some ginger ale. Uh, but yeah, you've been drinking. I made you a drink the other day here, and you drank it. I did. Yeah, I, nice, that that drink messed me up. A nice day. Cuba Libre. Yeah. Yeah, was, I still don't understand. It was two shots of rum, Joe. I mean, it, listen, I don't dear drink. listener. Yeah, we're don't like think we're getting out of control here. Like Joe had two shots of. Josh was calling it attention because the next episode's my intervention. Is that what that is? <laughs> People are gonna start writing in. Like, <laughs> is Joe okay? Yeah. Why is he drinking so much? Because he spends hours with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, no, there's a, I forget. I think it's a, I don't know if it's from a movie or a TV show, but, um, it came up on my Facebook memories and it was a quote from something and it said, um, it's like, I don't, it's like, you don't drink. What did the world become? So did the world become suddenly more beautiful? And I was like, huh? Fascinating quote. Don't know why I wrote it. Uh, why I wrote it on my Facebook wall. Oh, inter- oh, this was a quote from you. It was a quote. Uh-huh. It was yeah. It was a quote from something that I put on my like Facebook page years and years ago. Huh. I wonder. Uh, yeah, what was going on in your life at that time? I don't know. I wasn't drinking either. So yeah. Well, either way, so you had a cocktail and the movie started. And- the movie started and it was great. I sat next to um, my dear friend Rajni, and Rajni um, lived in Italy. And has had uh, her last two significant relationships were with Italian men. So all of the speaking in the Italian accent was very cringy for her. And just a lot of like shaking her head like, <laughs> like, oh, no, what's going on? Yeah, I watched some video. It was like, a, I think, I don't know if it was an... No, it wasn't a video. It was an article I read about critiquing the accents from like an accent coach. Mm-hmm. And she was like judging everybody. Like she um, put them all in. She like ranked who did the best and who did the worst. And, mm-hmm. and also looking at like consistency. Because a lot of times, I mean, this is true in any language. Certain sounds, especially certain vowels, make different sounds depending on what comes before it or what comes after it. Obviously, that's yeah. not mm-hmm. news to anybody. Um, but uh, but she was talking about even in saying like the same words, there was lacks, lack of consistency, particularly mm-hmm. with um, Adam Driver. I guess Al Pacino, she thought, did really badly. Um uh, the one playing um, uh, oh, Aldo gosh. Gucci. No, well, that's um, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons, but no. Uh, oh my gosh, he's like unrecognizable. 
in the role. Oh, Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Like, I guess she was. Oh, like, yes. Waluigi as. Uh, right. They, She's like saying. criticizing. I think she said that out of all the accents, she did think that Lady Gaga did really well, especially consistently. Yeah. Well, uh, she lived as. She was very. Like, I, I, was, I kept thinking about our dear friend Tiffany. Oh, right. Um, because she lived in that accent the like for the 18 months well she said she lived in that accent the like for a few for what is it like six months leading up to the shooting or something like uh, the shooting of the thing and then like spoken it the whole time and and it was mainly because she just didn't want to have to go in and out of it she just wanted to stay in it and be able to react and i was like ha huh, that is a very succinct and not as annoying explanation of like the true kind of method uh um acting and sense memory and all that because she 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 was it was like in a junket which i was like wow this is like really thoughtful for a little junket but um she was just like you know if i if i'm trying if i'm constantly going in and out of the accent then i'm not like i'm i'm not reacting i'm thinking about the portrayal of the character and not reacting as the character and i was like huh interesting um, I don't know what kind of shade that was on, like maybe the other people on the movie who maybe had to uh, do their Italian accents. But again, she's also like Italian, like she's an Italian American, and so I feel like she probably had some. She felt like she wanted to honor her ancestry in that way too. Yeah, um, yeah. Who knows? I I haven't read it or seen enough interviews with her. To, I do know that she went very method and was like kind of living in her, but I also watched videos that compared the two talking and it's like, she doesn't really talk like Patrizia actually spoke. But anyways, I found that article and here's, here's the ranking. I was wrong. So she said, Jeremy Irons was the worst, the least believable in her mm-hmm. opinion. Then Adam driver, uh, then better than driver was a tie between Al Pacino and Lady Gaga. So she actually liked his, um, mm-hmm. Um, accent better. Well, yeah, I mean, he was in the fucking Godfather. <laughs> yeah, um, he did his homework. Cor- Pacino did his homework, but he was not. She was. Uh, he said he was not too impressed with his Italian accent, which is interesting. And then she no. He, so she said the best in her opinion was Jared Leto, but she said he did a lot of things right, but also really messed it up. But that he hit the consonants kind of hard and heavy, very Italian. Um. But he messed up by doing. It almost sounded like a caricature at times. But there were well, parts yeah. of it that were really that were really good. Anyways, this is Garrett Stroman. So take it up with Garrett. Uh, yeah, and I was told. Oh my gosh, I think this is is maybe this is a different article because I thought I read it was a woman wrote, was talking, but this is a male accent coach. Hold on. Okay, now there's like 10,000 articles. So I never mind. Don't ask me. I don't know what I'm talking about. But that one guy, that was his run-up. I thought I read someone else's. That was a woman dialect coach. So maybe I just clicked the wrong article in the thousands of them. Anyways, I do want to see the movie. Uh, although it does sound like it might just be like a two and a half hour version of Snapped. <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, it's interesting because a couple things, right? It's it, it, the first part of it is like very much kind of delving into Patricia's uh, motivation and and all of that, and maybe not even maybe kind of suggesting what potential motivations would have been like. 
Um, but at least like how she felt that she was entitled um, because of what she, um, how she had the pull and the persu- and persuaded uh, Maurizio. And so that's interesting. But then at a certain point when she starts to have that falling out with Maurizio right before the assassination, um, you get into the stuff with Adam Driver and it's like, why are we here? Because then it becomes literally that part of the book where it's like, now this is all about the Gucci family. I mostly wanted to know about it from like her perspective. Cause like, right. that's, that's the thing about like Versace, right? The, the, the assassination of Johnny Versace is that it's not just about Versace. It's about Cunanan. Like there's a whole, oh, yeah, it's more about him than anything. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I was expecting. I was expecting more of that. I didn't expect this whole thing about like, you know, like how the investors forced out, uh, forced out Maurizio basically took his family name from him. There's a whole thing with Tom Ford, like in all that stuff. And I was like, I don't know why we, I don't know necessarily if that was like, I don't know if it was necessary, but like, it didn't add any texture other than the fact that like it made his death even that much more tragic, which maybe was the point, but yeah, maybe just to show like how hard he worked to have it kind of taken from him mm-hmm. regardless. Yeah. Uh, Cause obviously he was right. You know, Gucci's in a much better space, I think because of the work that he did and what he wanted to do by streamlining their operations. And cause the book made it, I mean, when I was reading it made it, it was like a mess for a while because there was like, Gucci in Italy, Gucci in America. The companies were being run in different ways with different visions. They also franchised out the name. So like different stores could like have Gucci products, but it's like was really just out of control, um, you know, for a while. And so it's like his vision of kind of bringing things back, you know, and like making it a high end brand obviously was to all of their benefit. Yeah, but but he had to bring in outside investors, and right. eventually, when they forced him out and bought his shares from him, they bought his name, right. and so he became essentially no no longer were there any Gucci family members related to the brand at all. Right now, yeah. I think that if Maurizio had lived, if Maurizio had survived, he would have figured out a second act for himself, and would have ultimately found a way to either reclaim or pivot. Uh, to yeah. something different, um, in a in in a different, but like they basically like McDonald's him, like, uh, um, you know, they they Ray crocked him as it were. <laughs> well, well, I I am looking forward to seeing it whenever it's available to be seen uh, on the, you know, on the stuff mm-hmm. on the streamings. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, are did you catch up at all on the straight? drag racer story um our 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 former guest adam um posted something yeah i saw that and i read it and i was like huh interesting um because lady bunny and defended got and got make both came out to talk and and uh defended and also um uh, maddie herself spoke mm-hmm. maddie morphosis the the queen at the you know at the center of this mm-hmm. uh you know <laughs> so important world changing uh conversation uh you know defended her own thing like by saying like i'm here for me not on behalf of straight people uh which i do think is it um there's so much wrapped up in this whole conversation you know because we're like gay people we d- we're not monolithic we don't want to be considered spokespersons for all gay people and you know so if this is like this man's art form 
and expression is is through drag and he's like i don't speak for all straight people like it's just starting starting some very interesting conversations that we're going to see culturally happening i think over the next 20 30 years as again what what does it mean to not have like subculture in the sense that subculture becomes culture like what happens in a world where we really do just respect everybody doing whatever it is they want to do as long as they're not hurting other people or like you know making mockery or doing something in a harmful hurtful way purposefully or maliciously we always we obviously will probably always be having conversations about like what is appropriate or not appropriate you know or educating people on that but think about if we lived in a world where we were all like really aware of that like really aware of cultural appropriation of like the racism embedded in a lot of art, the sexism, the misogyny, like, mm-hmm. you know, imagine a world where like all of that no longer exists. Like, what does that mean for art forms like drag or things that are seen as like subversive? Well, what if- I don't think, well, I don't think we would have those art forms because those art forms were all were in response to dominant cultures, subjugation, but they exist now. So I mean, like, it be it because they're because they're being co-opted. Like, are they existing? Are they being brought into mm. the? That's the thing is that like what right. what ends up happening is that it you see it becomes uh, co-opted and now becomes a part of dominant culture, and it's not. A, so you say it's impossible for it to then exist. Yeah. In its- in its purest form, okay. because, because I might be thinking very idealistically. <laughs> exactly, and I—I I mean, not exactly. Yes, idealism. And, but but that's the, in, in my opinion, I mean, that's like how did how did like the ball scene and all of that right. stuff come out of? Like, it came as a response to it was people. Um, disenfranchised trans sex workers that were uh, disenfranchised trans people, sex workers, people of color who like wanted to, who knew that they could not attain the realness that they were performing and so thus tried to enact it and embody it and perform it in a different they way. Couldn't, they couldn't ob- obtain this ideal yes. of what that means you know, what, by yeah. as a society by, yeah. by at the time what society yeah. would call that right but like so you're saying that if we lived in a world where people didn't need that kind of like say like ever all trans people were just seen as people you, gender all of those sorts of things like we we got we did away with the criticism like the the um like the backlash of it like if that no longer existed then like ball culture would go away there wouldn't have been any no, that's not what I'm oh, saying. Oh, you're, you're asking if we... I'm saying now. Like, that's what I mean. I don't, I, I, obviously, these things have existed. I don't want to take away what created the form, but I'm saying if we move forward in time and we're learning and we're growing as a species, <laughs> not to say that we are, but, like, I'm imagining if those sorts of things went away, like, if we stopped, like, caring how children, you know, saw themselves gender-wise, if we were just like, that's Joe and Joe... That's how Joe dresses. It's not a boy dress. It's not a girl dress. It's a dress and people wear them. You know what I mean? Like if those sorts of ideas went away and the space like is created for us to just respect fellow humans as humans without the criticism, without wrapping up like, you know, oppression in it or prejudice, you know, if if people were just accepted, like all these forms are like drag queens would be like, well, I don't need to do drag anymore. Everybody's happy. Like it's not a it's not an art form that exists unless it's rooted in oppression or prejudice. 
Mm, that's an interesting that's an interesting thought because i mean i think we're witnessing the the changes in it you know because like you know 30 40 years ago you were going to have like one of the most popular television shows on tv be a show about men wearing makeup and dresses Mm -hmm. uh which is where i mean that's what at least started at obviously now we have trans women on the show trans men on the show now a straight man is is competing um you know so like i guess i i'm just curious I don't have an answer. <laughs> you know, I think this goes back to what we were sort of talking about last time. I'm just I, really curious <laughs> about a world without these sorts of barriers. Yeah, but I what think that mean? you're also that that um, uh, that conceit that you are saying mm-hmm. uh, presupposes that like we've also answered like the capitalism problem. We've well, also yeah, answered no, that's true. racist systemic racism, right? Right, all the things that inform. It, 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 exactly and yeah. like the the kind of mainstreaming of drag race in this way is is directly related to capitalism it's directly related to um it's directly related to like consumer culture and the and and how things are getting co-opted into main culture right and i and that's one well, that i yeah 100 percent. and like that's that. the in the same the article that i read i felt that i was like yeah you have these you have two people two recognizable personalities who come from that world who are basically saying like you know who have are like having to cut down the like cis white women who are like this isn't drag and I'm like maybe you don't know what is and is not drag right like yeah. I can tell like we know as people who have lived this life and done it and been also on the receiving end of the hateful comments in different ways right and yeah. and and I think one thing that Gottmik said in the article was like as long as he knows where it comes from. As long as he knows his history and where it comes from and whose shoulders he's standing on, then like, you know, go for it, slay the game, whatever. Right. And so it'd be interesting to see like, you know, if this cis man gets into the workroom and like when they read him for filth, if he's going to like, you know, shake his finger and say, right. Will his, yeah. Will his privilege show up in ways, you know? Exactly. Will he be using the the language of the people? You know, like, will he be speaking in the same colloquialisms that, that yeah. those folks do? Well, again, that brings up a whole other ball of wax. Because, I mean, a lot of white drag people use language that it comes from, you know, black drag, uh, you know, a totally different, you know, so again, black culture, right. So then we're back to that. Like, I mean, there's cultural appropriations, cultural appreciation. Like, what does it mean? Like, what does it mean for him to like, as a straight male competitor to use like, but again, all of any of the white people who are using language that comes out of like, out of black culture like if is that okay because they're gay drag queens and despite the whiteness you know so for him to put on a dress and put on makeup and be like but i'm a straight man like well is that in spite of you know it's just (sighs) yeah i'm very curious to look back on this time in another 20 30 years Mm -hmm. uh if we're not hanging on the wall in gilead of course but uh which is also possible um because again it's always terrifying the more uh um, the more it seems that we're making headway, <laughs> the more I'm worried about the backlash on the other side. Yeah. Um, insurrection, Trump, insert all of that here. Hashtag. Um, 
Yeah. You know, you're seeing like the vest, like the dying vestiges of this. Uh, There's the Joshua I know. The, the, you were being over. It was like that over optimistic, overly <laughs> optimistic, like uncharacteristically optimistic yeah. Joshua of like, what if racism and this didn't exist? Well, it, and yeah. then now you know Gilead is upon us. Well, I think philosophically, <laughs> it's it's an important question, you know, because as people talk about like gender, like shouldn't matter, like in the sense of like it shouldn't matter to you to want to approach how I want to have my gender but I'm like yeah but the, where's where does that if you if we think that all the way through and gender ceases to exist at all like the 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 consideration for gender not that gender goes away you know but like the consideration for it in the sense of like it means anything privilege wise or like benefit wise if if like we just saw everybody is like whoever you are is great then where does the conversation go from there? I'm very curious about like, that's something um, there's a, a professor of mine has a colleague who is working on this work is, is like it, thinking about that in that philosophical way, uh, psychological way. Like what does it mean for a culture where without gender, then does it, does any, what, where does drag fit into that? Where does queerness, where does gen like gender spectrum people fit into that if it doesn't matter you know it's very it's it doesn't matter in the sense again i don't want to be misquoted in the sense that we would oppress people based on it you know again you're free to identify however you want we love you great you know come work here go be you know on stage there go do whatever you want to do we're happy for you yeah uh, so I think about that philosophically, <laughs> but you know, yeah, again, there is the part of me that's very much still, I've seen this horror movie quite a few times. So I'm always on the, always on the, the defensive a little bit. And look at you, you brought it back to horror. Exactly. And, uh, we probably been talking for three hours by now. Uh, oh my gosh, 32 minutes. <laughs> supposed to cut this off at 30 so we will be back to continue our uh our our december 2021 holiday horror not really holiday horror but horror menorah <laughs> jewish horror with uh 2018's the Gollum. hey everybody i'm chris fafalius and i'm the producer of chris makes a podcast and the host of the one hit thunder podcast and i'm matt kelly host of horror movie night and the producer slash the head of content for the geekscape podcasting network between the two of us we have believe it or not 25 years of podcasting experience and we want to help you start your own podcast we know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you so whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast we want to help or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work well we can help you with that also you can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right, welcome back. So today we are, this is kind of fun. It's like sort of a bookend, you know, we, well, not a bookend. Like it's just, it's like bookends at your house. They're just sitting next to each other with no books in between them. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> but uh, last- I have books. Mm-hmm. 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 That I have that read. you don't need crayons for. Yep, bitch. <laughs> I have books. <laughs> Anyways, I take that. What is it? It's a. I think it's. It gets attributed to different people, but I think John Waters with like, if you go to someone's house and you don't have books, don't fuck them. Yes, I have books, and not just because I want people to fuck me. I have books because I actually have books. 
Yes. To so. steady tables and prop open doors. <laughs> shady, shady. Shady lady. Shady lady. Uh, anyways, last week we talked about 1920s Golem, which apparently it seems like the last time anybody thought to really make a movie about a Golem at least so specifically mm-hmm. obviously we've there's other movies and films and things that explore the idea of like creating you know a monster out of you know the parts of things mm-hmm. uh but to do but to take this particular folklore and make it into a film it's been a very long time almost a hundred years uh although again there's probably other stuff out there but it's almost a hundred years between that film and the film we're discussing today um Sorry, I said it was 2018 because it came out at the Fright Fest London in 2018, but then was like officially released in January of 2019. So, sue me. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, no, look, there was a 1951 film, The Emperor and the Golem. Uh, Czechoslovakian historical fantasy comedy film made in 1951. But again, that says comedy. So that doesn't sound like a horror film, which is what we're discussing. You know, it was probably horrific in that is the um, uh, potentially anti-Semitic portrayals of the people. Probably. That's a, that's a strong possibility. Yeah. Uh, but not in this film. This is an Israeli production. I mean, at least I didn't see anything I thought was anti-Semitic, obviously. Uh, they were really trying to uh, show, you know, kind of demonstrate the the prejudice of, of, of Jewish people that existed and still persists. Uh, so 2018 Israeli We've uh, film. We've got it directed by... Are they... They must be either... Are they like brothers or siblings i don't know doran and yohav paz and written by ariel cohen uh so obviously it's based on the same legend that we talked about in the last film you know this sort of the golem of the golem of prague and you know rabbi low and that sort of that story that happened uh that's part of this the the folklore and although, let's see, this time it's got like a little bit of a twist because it's, you know, this is sort of more about, uh, this is very like Babadook in a way. And it's got those kinds of wrapped up in a lot of those same sorts of uh, feelings of grief and the relationships of mothers and their children and what's expected of women. And, you know, so we'll, we'll get into all that. Uh, that makes it a very uh, kind of now film rather than just remaking um, the Golem. Although I thought it was really neat how they kind of opened the film almost with like a really quick condensed version, you know, of, of sort of what happened the last time we had a golem, you know? So it's like things didn't go very well. So maybe bringing another one in isn't going to, isn't going to go well. And it's obviously a, a part of, a part of this story. Uh, who do we got uh, starring, uh, Hani Furstenberg is Hannah. She's the main uh, character. Isha Golan is Benjamin, her husband. And also little Konstantin Anakienko as mm-hmm. the golem, uh, a, a child this time, or, or a golem in the form of a child. And yeah, so we just thought it'd be fun to uh, chat about that kind of maybe compare and contrast a little bit to the 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 film that we watched last time, the 1920s version. You know what's kind of changed in a hundred years? Where are uh, what what does this film have to say that uh, needed to be said? Joe, let's start with uh, your your thoughts. 
Um, well, the main thing that's changed uh, in the last hundred years was overall technology and filmmaking. <laughs> I was just talking uh, about like culturally. What is this saying? But go off about cameras. Well. <laughs> <laughs> We need that on a t-shirt. Go off about cameras. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually was telling Joshua, I was like, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I had such low expectations uh, going into a film that I had never heard of, as is with most films that I've never heard of. So honestly, most films on this show. <laughs> um, but it was it was very it was uh, very riveting and very um, uh, kept my kept my attention for sure. Don't think I'll watch it again, but um, if you wanted to watch it again, you know, maybe I would. Um, I think what's really interesting is the idea that um, the central conflict of the... Uh, there were several different plots that were happening, but, the, but it's not that... Um, the outsider, the the <laughs> the Goisha people are, you know, persecuting us, type of thing. It's it's more. Um, it's not so much that that's happening. It's more like dealing about grief and the way that grief manifests itself. So it just so happens that you know one of the ways that grief manifested itself is that you know this. Uh, Gentile man comes in and basically holds an entire village hostage because he thinks that they've placed a spell on her, on his daughter. Right. Because of the plague that's been ravaging, um, and resentment, right, of, like, the the ravaging of uh, his town uh, versus um, the Jewish people who live in the shtetl that are just, you know, living their, <laughs> literally living their best life. Right. Yeah. So this film is set uh, in Lithuania in 1673. So uh, like 300 years after like the black death of it all. Uh, but obviously there's a lot of anti-Semitism wrapped up in that time that has persisted. And um, you know, this film is kind of dealing with that. Like still, it's like, Oh my gosh, y'all it's been 300 years. Like we didn't make the bubonic plague. We didn't do the black death. We're not casting spells on y'all. We just want to be left alone in our little village here. We're fine. We don't really go out. Like they're very isolated. You know what I mean? They have everything they want and need there. Like people are living their whole lives. Oh my gosh. Saying it. I'm just like, it feels so like, <laughs> like I can't imagine like, you know, our lives are so radically different than how it was. I mean, 1673, like that's in the scheme of things not really all that long ago you, you know so much advancement so much has changed in four mm -hmm. or five hundred years uh you know out of millions and millions obviously but <laughs> billion million billion years of advancement uh but anyways you know just kind of thinking about that like uh, if we were talking about like imagine if we lived here joe we'd be so like what are we doing are we really going to be building a barn like oh i know gosh. joshua was like she um <laughs> hannah went into the barn to check on the the, the horses and he's like joe look we would have to build that if we live there and i looked at him and we'd I'm have like, to help i'm like joshua because of homophobia we would be dead this is true yeah um or what i say or we would have um amassed a bunch of money in a fortune that that wealth would have insulated us a little bit maybe. so we could hold like you know private parties where maybe if you wanted to you know you could you know go off and suck a guy or something like that but 
Well, now, once again, Fright School is taken into some perverse fantasy of Joe. What is going on? Ah, uh, Lord. <laughs> but... Anyway, Shtetl Academy with Joe. Yeah, okay. It's, it's the Shtetl Academy, <laughs> Shtetl School. That's not the title of this episode. No, We're not calling it Shtetl School. Fright School. Um, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> this it's, was not that funny. Um, we okay. call this fright shul. Come no, on, that's pretty doing, funny. We're not doing that. We're not going there. Um, oh, oh my man. gosh, we're gonna be shut down. Like, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, uh, oh, this was nominated for several awards by the Israeli Film Academy. Back to the movie. <laughs> yes. Well, so what? I, what I wanted to say was that in uh, comparing if you know if this is a compare and contrast paper right compare and contrast the original film the 1920 film dealt like that was the central conceit of like why they created the golem was because the people were about to be evicted from their like little ghetto area their their homes right and that's based in that folklore that the golem was created to protect and yeah. to help protect and help and so in this way it's like yes that's part of it but like there are it's adding those extra layers of like it's not just to protect the people but it's also intensely personal like you don't really it's not so much like the people as in like the village like this was very much like an assault on the jewish people in 1920 and then in the 2008 uh, 2019 version you have um you have like it's more about like the personal aspects of it it's you know it's uh vladimir punching hannah's sister in the stomach and she loses her baby and her as a woman who lost a child like knows the harm that that does and therefore you know is going to erect a golem to to enact essentially a personal vendetta guised as like protection for the village no that's a really good point that was something that i i wrote down uh because you're right like the ra- rabbi low in in the golem 1920 creates it yeah exactly as a protector as something to show off of like you know look like we're powerful like we should be working like together like you should appreciate us and like you know the the work that we do for for you and blah 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 and like here's just like a demonstration of that um but if you're gonna fuck with us then fuck with us see what happens to you you know like that's definitely you know part of it but i i I like that point a lot that this is much more personal this is just about this group of people that's like just together and this dude vladimir is just seeing his people die and he's got no one else to blame uh, obviously this is very much wrapped up in lots of things that horror is built on uh you know um seeking out the other blaming the other for your problems you know so like if we saw this film from his his point of view which again is not correct obviously he's a bad person (laughs) but you know he's looking for any explanation and you know so he's focusing his personal pain and loss on this you know community of people who's like we're just living our lives we don't care about not that we don't care about you but we're not putting spells on you we're trying our best to keep our own people alive and (laughs) you know it's fucking 1673 (laughs) we got enough problems uh we got to build this barn (laughs) and kill joe and joshua the homosexuals uh that have invaded our (laughs) 
invade our territory. Uh, but yeah, that kind of made me think a lot. So as I was sitting watching this movie again, you know. And you've not seen this either. No, this was the first time. I'd been wanting yeah. to watch it for a long time. I'd put it on the list because I kept thinking that I knew we were going to watch the 1920 Golem at some point. You just have to. Like, it's it's such an... I, I still think it's a very important part of horror history. Uh, and I knew I wanted to pair it with this film, either doing them together or, you know, something. So it just... This was kind of like the perfect time to, to do this sort of, um, mm-hmm. sort of episode. But I had thought to watch it many times and uh i just didn't so we watched it together for the first time so super fun but it got me thinking about as i'm watching it so hannah's main like when the film starts hannah is seven years since she and her husband benjamin lost a child he drowned young joseph yeah young joseph and uh because well now we know he was a gay no, that's terrible. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Just to bring it back to what we were talking about. No, but that's not the case. He, it was an accident, terrible thing. Uh, you know, so for seven years, they've been trying to have another kid. They can't. I was, I, I, in watching it, I thought that they were, tr- that Perla, she's like their medicine person. The, you know, I'm not exactly, did they really define her role? She said, she openly said that she was the a healer. healer. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I keep calling her La Perla, like <laughs> <laughs> La Perla. Yes. Uh, yeah, Perla. No. Uh, I thought she was trying to help her have a baby, but uh, anyways, Hannah's been pretending to try, but she really has been using this like contraception to prevent another baby because she doesn't want to bear the loss if something happens. Like she's just in that kind of place. She's in, you know, she needed therapy. She needed a really good grief therapy. And, uh, you know, this whole film could have been avoided if she yeah. would have gotten that. Why create <laughs> if you can't bear the loss? Yeah, uh, which I think is a really, really cool place to kind of start. And it, like with her, like that's where her mind is at. And so when this opportunity comes, when Vladimir shows up and is threatening the uh, the people, she knows about the golem. She knows like... Uh, she's been reading. So this this particular Jewish sect, they have um, you know this uh, Kabbalistic interest. So like in Jewish mysticism, she's been reading the books. Her husband sneaks them out for her. He's very, I mean, he's you know he's supportive. You know, want, you know she wants to read uh, texts forbidden to everybody. Hey, he'll steal it. Forbidden to women, or forbidden to women, but also forbidden to like. Well, he said to some men who will go crazy, but but you're right, women yeah. definitely forbidden to women. Yeah, uh, but a anybody gentle going on a little bit of gentle, right. but anybody that they think can't handle like the knowledge of it, like that the Kabbalah may drive some people insane. This pursuit of of the you know the the divine you know power of God uh, through through you know unlocking you know the names and all of that mm-hmm. the seventy two names of God and. Yeah, you know that you go through these levels, and so for some people, Nirvana, you know, drives them crazy. So they don't—they want to keep people. Protected. What are the seventy-two names of God? We we don't have time to sit through all this. I meant to grab that book. I have that book, the seventy-two names of God, mm-hmm. but I forgot to grab it for you. Hey, you. I stopped. Yeah. Hey, you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of them. Hey, um, you, and why? Yes. Uh, those are two. <laughs> Uh, but I, I stopped reading like, cause I used to be really heavy into Kabbalah, uh, way, way back in the day. But back when I mean, Madonna was into Kabbalah. Well, she's still really into it. I kept expecting her to pop up any minute with her, <laughs> you know, red string bedecked 
hand out of the <laughs> clawing its way out of the dirt and the mud. Can you imagine? You know, we should, you know what the internet the internet is perfect, right? You just speak it and it will happen. Um, someone out there needs to recut the scene where the golem kills all kills the people, but recut it to like some Madonna song, right? <laughs> like recut it to like Ray of Light or. <laughs> Oh my gosh, if that were to happen. Um, like celebration or <laughs> What's this Golem Hollywood Madonna? There's something on YouTube <laughs> called that, but who knows what that is. Like the Golem is looking at it and then like, you know, telekinetically explodes the brain and it's bitch, I'm loca. <laughs> Desame la boca. <laughs> okay, apparently it's just a, a group that's covering a song by her. Anyways, um It's a Klezmer band covering Madonna songs. Yeah. Precisely. So Hannah, you know, obviously the the village is like under attack. She's like, hey, we should make a golem. Of course, first of all, they're like, you shouldn't be reading the Kabbalah. Like, what do you know? But she's just like, you know what? Fuck you, Rabbi. I'm gonna do what I want. So of course, she's like, got her. Fuck books. you, father-in-law. Right. Rabbi. Oh, that's right. It yeah. is her father-in-law who she tries might- to convince the husband to drop her because she's not doing her womanly duty of providing babies. This is a delightful uh, person. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too, right? Is that like she? He's the rabbi's. You know, he's the rabbi's son. Yeah. Like So you know, he wants him to have lots of children. Exactly. Have his own, a whole his own. Um, uh, what was it? Um, the uh, oh shoot. I, I totally forgot the word. The minyan. minyan. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, Wants uh, like, him to have his own minyan in the house. Of his sons. Ready to go. Of his sons. Only. Only sons. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one daughter to help. You know, but that's it. Yeah. Uh, that's horrible. Um, man, women just... Oh, gosh. Why, why aren't more things on fire? Um, <laughs> anyways... So she obviously steals off into the forest in the night and makes herself a golem, which she makes like what looks sort of like a typical, like a big monstrous kind of golem. And then when it comes to life, it's actually in the shape of a boy, of a little boy, of um, uh, like her son, basically Mm -hmm. the one that they lost. Uh, so that kind of goes to what you're saying about like sort of the personal that's, that's kind of put in where this, this creature shows up like, in the way she needs it to. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily just about exercising uh, or, you know, protecting the village. It's also exercising like her pain and grief in, in loss. So she created a child. Uh, because that was her desire to create. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause she w- w- would like to have one, but it's almost like she wants him back rather than having a new child. Um. Yeah, which I, again, I really like how this is different from the original film, because this is like the offshoot. We talked a little bit about it at the end of the last episode, where there's sort of like stories like the gingerbread man or the clay boy or things like that, where people make children, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, to replace children that are dead or for whatever reason. And so this relates in the similar mythology, because it's, it's not her child, um, and they do really well to like not like even show like what Joseph looked like. No, I think it's just inferred that that's obviously looks like him, you know, yeah. with her connection to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I just think it kind of it just adds a whole other layer to like what's happening in the story. And when we think again about like contextualizing it in the now, mm-hmm. there's so much like for women that like if something 
goes wrong with your child like everybody's like you know where's the mother what did the mother do you know there's all and i was thinking about like the violence that gets perpetrated by children how we immediately like look to the parents and i think more so to the mother like you know what did she do Mm -hmm. uh there's lots of you know talk and you know Mm -hmm. articles and things written about that you know uh attacking mothers and that they're you know responsible if their children are monsters Mm -hmm. like what does that mean to be the mother of a monster so this kind of takes this very literal sort of stance you know, in that, and then he's acting out her desires in the film, you know, protecting her as well. Uh, But also in the end, when it, when the golem like goes on its rampage, it's because of like her fear and her anger that, that her village is trying to take her boy again. And so of course it starts killing indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it made me think about like that kind of concept of like, how much responsibility, but this draws a direct parallel like that. She made a child who is acting out the darker mm-hmm. parts of her fantasy, you know? So it is, it does blame her for its violence. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to say some mothers drive their children to commit their crimes. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're, yeah. Then we have no, like literally, drive them. Oh, this is true. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, what was it? Oh, I, yeah. I was wondering like, what if something acted out like your whims, uh, is like, I think that's kind of an interesting question within this that I was thinking about. It's like, if I was tied to something and you know, when you have moments of like, where you get angry about something, like, I don't think she would have wanted him to kill the village, but you know, she's terrified. She's in this kind of moment. They're connected spiritually, physically, whatever. Um, you know, cause the, the golem does a few times where it like stabs itself or it gets shot and like, she feels the effects of it. So mm-hmm. they're like connected. But it's like, you know, if you had something in the world that acted on your emotional whims, <laughs> like how terrible, you know, it's like the thing of like, thankfully, we didn't have telekinesis in high school because there'd be a lot of probably yeah. dead high schoolers. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Not to say that if we had it now, there wouldn't be a lot of dead people. Yeah, as well, she but, like, you know, it's out of yeah. control. Like your emotions sometimes get out of control. Yeah, because she sees Jacob going to Rachel or whatever her name is, his house, eating her kugel. Oh, right. You know, and and just being all like, oh, he's going to go and, you know, I've been (laughs) I've been, you know, secretly uh, secretly killing off his sperm inside of me. But I'm offended because he's now going to go try to find this, you know, potentially uh, sleep with this other woman and cast me out. So at that point, is it more is it because she is in love with him or is it because he, she now thinks she will be cast out. See that. So I'm thinking about thinking Mm -hmm. that out now, processing that out loud on the show. I'm like, I don't necessarily, I think maybe when I like, when we're watching it, I'm like, Oh, she's loves him still. I'm like, no, maybe she's just afraid. She's just going to get cast out. Cause then the golem goes and like fucks Rachel up and she, (laughs) and you know, Hannah's all sound asleep uh, um, in her bed. Um, not realizing that that's all playing out. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that she cares for her husband, obviously, but yeah, I don't know. Again, it's that, that question of if you have something acting in your interests, even if maybe you would, 
Yeah. Exactly. Maybe you would never say it out loud right. that like I'm afraid of being put on the street and being ostracized, but like it resides deep in my soul and this, you know, this mystical Jewish Kabbalist monster <laughs> that I've created has found that and is going to protect me and and uh, make sure that I don't, you know, have my deepest fear realized. Because it's also serving, yeah. like, it's really strange, right? Because, like, if you, so let me ask you this, and this might, this this is an interesting question. If you were to, like, create the golem, right, what do you think would show up? Like, mm. because in the in the opening scene, we, it's intimated that, like, the golem was this big, strong, like, monster that was created by that rabbi in Prague, right. right? Because that was his intention, and therefore, and also, you know, not for nothing, he is a man, and when men create, they create in that way, in their own image, or in their image, but better, right? Whereas, like, with... Right, bigger, stronger. Bigger, stronger, right. specifically for the purpose... At least w- at what, what we see contextually contextualized in horror films yes. or in yeah this sort in sci-fi yes but in the in the way that with rachel and especially because she had now like it was so f- interesting when you said that it's like you know it, reading the kabbalah and doing this is going to make a man go crazy because they can't comprehend it and it's like yeah but what if a woman actually could comprehend it and that's why we don't want them to have the knowledge mm. because they can they can wield it and make it more stable obviously that didn't happen in this way or it happened right. it happened in with unintended consequences you know a la monkey's paw but right. but think about that for a minute what would your golem show up as like if it was like something of your deepest desire, like would it show up? What would it show up as? Oh, man, I don't know. Um, probably a big black cat. No, <laughs> just a catty fucking monster. Um, it's that. Um, it's the Yule cat. It's like the you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, Icelandic yeah. cat. That yeah, eats. exactly. That's just out there eating people for not wearing their Christmas sweaters. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I'm not a fan of that, so I don't know. Maybe not. Um, be like some sort of Halloween cat eating people who t- didn't dress up or celebrate. But Did it would light a lantern. But but it wouldn't return as like a person. Like it wouldn't be like uh, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I mean, probably not a child. Uh, you know, maybe some sort of like. I feel like my vengeance, like, I don't know, maybe it would show up as like a giant, like sort of like some sort of Amazonian woman figure, you know, like a f- attack of the 50 foot woman. Like oh my some God. sort of like, you mean your, your golem's going to come back as like Xena warrior princess. Exactly. Like, like <laughs> this just total, like, you know, empowerment of like, you know, destruction of the patriarchy, maybe something not even like something genderless, even, you, you know, more androgynous, but you know, still with that sort of like, power i have a lot of rage about that you know yeah. still like the ways that like patriarchal you know bullshit is is injuring so many people uh, oh my god your golem's gonna come back as like boy george <laughs> <laughs> no i don't i really i don't golem, know golem 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 chameleon <laughs> is that it yes um <laughs> i think my golem because if i had to interrogate my like deepest desire slash regret i feel like i feel like my golem might come back as like i don't know like a family member like my dad you know my dad's very much alive (laughs) 
by the way. Um, and we're very happy for that. But I feel like, you know, if it, if it was one thing, the one thing that I feel like I have the most unfinished business or in, in, uh, um, with, I think it would be something like that. Like along the same lines. Um, it would be cool to like watch my dad like fuck up a bunch of people with like <laughs> telekinetic powers. That's that's very interesting. You know, that says something about you, Joe. I'm gonna get out the Rorschach cards and we're gonna talk. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I have no idea, but I I do think yeah, there's something to be said about like analyzing how our art. Again, this goes back to sort of the end of last episode's question about like the things that we create. How responsible are we for, you know, the harm that they cause? Mm-hmm. Um, interesting point, right? Because, I mean, the Nobel Prize, we get the Nobel Prize because Alfred Nobel was, like, really guilty for creating dynamite and therefore wanted to have a positive impact on the world. Impact on the world, impact on his name, who knows? Right. I think that we bear... Again, I, I think that we bear some responsibility as creators for things, especially because the human potential, especially among creative people, that human potential for innovation is limitless. Um, but that also can be said, like, once we've birthed it into the world, then it becomes, then the people become the makers of meaning. And I've said this right. many times. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like people, the audience becomes the, the, you have the death of the author and the audience becomes the maker of meaning in such a way that like, you know, the author informs it and the intention is there, but people can do whatever they want. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that like, it really just kind of depends on also what it is that you're creating. Like if it's an artistic work, um, versus like an actual object right. or a tool or something that um, can be used, that people can use and twist for nefarious purpose to do bodily harm. Right. Um, I think people do bear some responsibility in that. Um, I actually listened to a podcast a while back about a man who worked on, he worked on the... Um, the atomic bomb and uh, and he and he like it was just like a problem that needed to be solved not necessarily like thinking about those things about the right think about what happens after yeah Yeah. and that's kind of like that's what that's you know again in this tale i think the lesson because you know folklore mythology you know there's always like lessons in it like where you're supposed to learn something from it and and like we talked on the last one you know hubris is one of those things either you know like god has a will you know so if god has a will then whatever happens to you you have to think is within that mm-hmm. so what right do you have to build a golem and protect yourself from you know horrors that may happen or may not happen because like that's within like God's plan. I don't. I think religion yeah. is very fucked. Like those kinds of thing thinking. Yeah, but, but even, again, like yeah. like the, those sorts of like hubris of creating something that, that like that's God's job, not your job. You know, mm-hmm. to to create and then again. But then that gets really mixed up in this because this is like about a woman. She was like commanded to create, and she's not doing that for seven years. She has not had a baby. Then she makes this golem child, and it's doing its own. Th- I mean, there's a lot mixed up in that conversation she's commanded to create but not autonomously like 
in, right it, yeah. with her husband's that's yeah at yeah. her husband's behest yeah so and, again the warning in this is like yeah. still like she's stepping outside like either what's naturally intended by, yeah by, by by the decree of her day yeah and by her religious you know beliefs within the within this film yeah and it's just it's interesting right because it's like i don't know where i don't know exactly where like even jacob kind of falls in the religion Mm. aspect of it because yeah he's the rabbi's son so a lot of that is probably just you know him going through the motions because he's the rabbi's son but he even tells her he's like you know he tells like one of my favorite lines in the whole thing is that he is like you know you (laughs) it's like if you're looking for a reason in these texts for why God took our son away from us, Mm -hmm. then like you're not going to find it because there is no reason. It just was, it just happened. Right. Like it's, there's no reason why, which like is so nihilistic. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, cause he never, he never mentioned that it's like, it was God's will. Right. And the, the film is not centering on his grief. You know, it's not centering on like his experience really. If anything, you know, we're looking at him a bit antagonistically because he's like flirting with his other woman in the village. And even though he's going home to her, he's not necessarily like, you know, we don't see any evidence that he's like, you know, doing something that he shouldn't be doing, but obviously he's like thinking about it. Mm hmm. Uh, but it doesn't center on his experience. Yeah. It's about Hannah. Yeah, and it's Hannah's. It's it's a couple things, right? It's him not. Um, it's this. It's the time in which we're in where we're not able to. Um, she's not able to articulate to him why she does not want to have a child. It's his obligation as like a man slash the rabbi's son to produce more right. men. And 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 that was the other thing, the fucked up thing about that little prayer after he like, you know, mm-hmm. shoots one off in her is all like, you know, let's hopefully this makes another son. Right. And I fucking hate, I mean, I hate that shit. In yeah. Any in anything. Um, yeah, and that's something we see still today. I, you know, my sister like gets in these fights with this girl who like her weapon is always that she had the the you know piece of trash that they you know are fighting over uh, that she had the son and that mm. that's what matters and that his like girls don't matter and it's just so gross. It's like <laughs> women, why are you participating in this disgusting like misogyny? Misogyny, you know. I'm just like, ugh, you shouldn't have had any of his kids because he doesn't take care of them. It's all try anyway. This is very personal, but <laughs> the point is, is like, yeah, that sort of like participation in that still exists where people like, we really want a boy. And we're gonna keep trying till we get a boy, because all these other humans we created, they don't matter because they don't possess penises. I mean, that's the la- that's what it feels like. I feel like if I was a girl in a household where my mother said stuff like that, I'd be like, fuck you lady Mm -hmm. you know and you father i'm out of here like no wonder (laughs) kids are awful (laughs) yeah because their parents are garbage uh people who are perpetuating misogyny yeah Yeah. so like you know she coupled with the like coupled with the misogyny coupled with the fact that like you know she is not living up to her charge as a woman that she's actually able to con she's conjured this golem right it makes her that much more dangerous to any to to everybody else and then oh my god like can we talk a little bit about the sex scene between them like the the last sex scene oh between the Um, benjamin and hannah yeah where it's like you know yeah i'm a i created this shit i saved us all now let me go let's go fuck and i'm on top and 
it is not for procreation. It's for my pleasure. Like, I love that, that kind of book ending of literal book ending of all that, where, where she reclaims sex again for herself. Yeah, no, there's definitely some feminist elements to this, you know, and her Mm -hmm. being empowered, like even living within this culture, and being denied access to this knowledge, still possessing it and still kind of going after it, controlling her contraception, like controlling her body. Like there are definitely, you know, some elements to it. And then, yeah, of course, when she saves her village, yeah, you're absolutely right. She feels even more empowered. Like, you know, and that's obviously a threat to the rabbi and everybody else, which is, you do not, you know, they want to destroy the golem, you know, not only because it's, it is a threat to them, but also it's a threat because she made it, you know, yeah. she didn't need the rabbi. She didn't need any of the men. Like she needed their text and she got those and went off and did her own thing. Yeah. And so there is a, a, a streak of that. But again, that also ties into, um, that can also be read in sort of an anti women having power kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But we've talked about that before. Like sometimes it doesn't matter the gender of the person wielding power. It's their intention. Yeah. Uh, you know, we could, I think we've referenced the cartoon before about like Hillary Clinton, you know, dropping bombs in, you know, in the, in the Arab world and people celebrating cause they're coming from a woman now. Like, is that a thing? You know what I mean? Like they're not actually celebrating, but that's the whole, the satire of it is that, uh, you know, whoever's dropping the bombs is a bad person. Regardless, you know, so this kind of has a little bit of a, a, a strike, a streak of that as well. That obviously her own, her own hubris and her own um, emotions are like tied up into into this, and that's this is a again a punishment for behaving like God yeah. and for trying to create. So, but um, overall, I I thought this was a really cool take on this folklore that's like hundreds of years old. Um, I think it does what was really complicated and kind of muddy in the original in the 20 in the 1920 film right which is like it is a protector but also like it is a dark force it is a vessel of destruction yeah, regardless exactly. and so sometimes yeah and that kind of goes back to what you're saying like where you know you can drop in a bomb on people and certainly like be like well we've eradicated a threat mm-hmm to us but you also in the act of that destroyed a lot of innocent lives and destroyed a lot of you know futures of you know many things uh you know so that that in the in these sorts of stories that's like the lessons that we learn in stories about hubris and in stories about destruction uh is is like well we do do we need to think Mm -hmm. to the end like what happens after yeah. the bomb drops? What happens after the golem, you know, finishes this part of its work? Mm. All all it's meant to do is destroy. Yeah. Uh, and then she can't bear to end it. She knew she could. She knew how to, you know, to remove like the scroll from its mouth, and uh, you know, she could have stopped it, and she didn't for her again for out of her own interests and her own grief and desire to have her son back. Uh, so. It's very pet cemetery too, in a way. Mm-hmm. Not when I think about it, like that story is kind of there, you know, with resurrection, uh, you know. And I think that was the point the husband made is like God takes, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't get a we don't get a, a response to why we just have to 
move on. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, I I really enjoyed this. I I think there's man, there's always stuff to unpack in these sorts of old folklore that's still relevant, obviously today, uh, and giving it this sort of twist. Um, when we've talked about you know monstrous children before and like the relationship of mothers and their kids uh in in horror this is another i think really good example i think if you like the witch if you like um it's a little folk horror right it's very like in that you know so if you like those kind of like slower burn i i think this is a little quicker than than some but for the most part kind of a slower burn uh, we watched it for like it had it was free so it had ads on it streaming uh, which kind of sucked but it did kind of yeah. interrupt the flow a little bit um, yeah, but, we don't need Denny's yelling at us I know right in the middle of like this serious scene uh, so I definitely do want to watch it again because I, I did enjoy it overall I actually think Jeffrey would really enjoy it I, I'd be curious to get his uh, his critique of it sure um, but I definitely want to find it again where it's like just the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I think, you know, check it out, dear listener, especially if you're a fan of the the recent like Hereditary, Midsommar, any of those sorts of slower contemplative films. It, it has a little bit of that in it. Reminded me a little of Apostle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All righty. Well, yay. Joe. Joshua. I will see you again next week for more horror tales from Menorah Tales. <laughs> Menorah, Menorah Horror Tales. Yes. Uh, yeah. Although I think the next episode is just going to be really stupid, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, or no, no, not the next episode. The next episode should be good. The last episode in this series, I think, is going to be. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, but we'll <laughs> see when we get there. Anyways, dear listener, as always, thank you so much. We hope that you're enjoying your holiday season, whatever you celebrate, or if you don't celebrate anything, um, that's fine too. Listen to Fright School. Tell, share the gift of Fright School. Yes, that's what you can do. If you have, if if you if you're not spending money this year, give people our the dulcet tones of our voices. Do that. Say hey, Merry whatever, scary Christmas. Listen to Fright School. Yes. <laughs> Good night. We need to come up with. Hold on. Before that, we uh-huh. need to come up with a new like non-denominational scary you, you have scary Christmas. yeah we've been doing seasons grievings which right. is uh from what from uh in that from? i mean i've seen it a bunch of places yeah okay but like what is the jewish version so like uh, happy horica i don't think we're gonna figure that out right now we're gonna be here forever <laughs> okay uh, we'll figure it out maybe for next week i mean week. you said scary Christmas, and it's like you know we're doing a jewish i think no you, it's true it's true you know you know the holiday the holidays um yeah yeah, I don't know. I mean, that horror menorah was really funny, but <laughs> yes, we're gonna have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. When fright shul, we did say that yes, earlier. And but that's fright- not exactly. That's not holiday. No, so. it's a. I mean, and fright shul is very specific. Yeah. Too. Right now, somebody is screaming something brilliant. <laughs> They're like, "You idiots! It's right in front of you." Yeah. Uh, go ahead and tw- tweet that at us at fright school. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll figure it out. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Uh...
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 